Welcome to What's NXT, the podcast about the best weekly wrestling television show, NXT. I'm Tristan Marsh. I'm Alec Basio. And this is NXT for November 15th, 2017, number 420. Nice. Whoa! Blaze it! Yeah! <laughs> We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. Pop, you know, marijuana. Dave's not here. We are taking quite a lot of drugs. Excellent. Dave's not here. It doesn't give you a hangover. It's not habit forming. I do think I am addicted to drugs now. Get a pizza. Who is it? You smoke marijuana every day and always have. You can't OD on it. It makes sex even better. Open up the goddamn door. Yeah, babe. That's just having a little number to take the edge off. It's the cheapest drug there is. I think I kind of want it. Okay, but just this once. Come on in. Drug dealers are dorks. Don't even talk to them. Cowabunga! That's cool. I ate a green salad tonight. We're both drug fiends who live in flop houses, so 420 yeah. is very important to us. I have three Coke nails. Haven't talked to you in a couple weeks. I know, you've been in Mexico. Yeah, I was on a little vacation. I couldn't watch the show, much less talk about it with you. I'm sorry you had to be looking at all those iguanas in beautiful blue skies instead of Velveteen Dream's perfect armpits. Little fact, he's 22. Holy shit. <laughs> what? What? I'm gonna just what keep doing eat? this. He's giant. <laughs> Obviously, TakeOver War Games is this weekend, but we record this before that show is going to happen, so that's going to have to wait for next week. But luckily, next week's episode is probably going to be largely recapping that pay-per-view, so I think we'll be able to find yeah. the time. Yeah, I think it'll be fine. Do a big uh, TakeOver show next week and then talk about the one or two matches that we actually see. I'm guessing more like 1.5. Maybe Lars Sullivan beats up No Way Jose again. God damn it. <laughs> I hope not. You want to get some bullshit out of the way? Yeah, sure. Did you uh, Did you watch Raw this week? No. Okay. No. Did you watch... I almost feel guilty about it. Did you watch... Uh, did you watch SmackDown? No, I didn't even watch clips. <laughs> and uh, And what about 205 Live? What's that? I watched this week. I did I did not watch. I've been very ambivalent about the main roster recently, which is kind mm. of what this podcast grew out of, both of our complete lack of interest in the direction the main roster is going. I know that AJ Styles won the uh, belt off of Jinder Mahal, which basically invalidates that entire gigantic Nakamura feud that Jinder Mahal had, where he just kept beating Nakamura. So that's fun. Yeah, it's a great way to make a guy who was the top dog of an entire company look like shit. Yeah, really. Top dog of that company and then top dog of NXT for a while. And now just some guy. But what does he care? He's raking in the dollar bills and he's surfing every day, I guess. He's probably still living the life. More importantly, we missed two weeks of this show. So I thought we could go through some of the more important stuff over the last two weeks. So basically just the... Street Profits, uh, Sabatelli and Moss stuff, right? Yeah, that's the most important thing in the world. They're so weird. Who? They are so weird. Which Street which Profits. one of those two are the weird ones? The Street Profits. Oh, really? It's not Sabatelli and Moss walking around calling everything our car? You like our car? What are you doing by our car? This is our car? Yeah. yeah. This is our car. This is y'all's car. Our car. What yes. don't you understand? You don't our understand? Step away. We rich? I don't try on your chains. 
You guys step away from the Stay car. Stay away okay? from the car. And our suit. You can't afford this, man. Stat you can't afford you our about? suit. You can't afford our suit. We told you before. Don't make us tell you again. Stop touching our stuff. Seriously. Yo, no, man, that suit, hey, that, $5,000 man. at Men's Warehouse. Come on, man. It, it, that probably, don't even exist. Oh, that's like $5. That's true. I like that a lot. He's just delivering Tito's Sabatelli suit, but it's, it's both of their suits. They're either 1970s confirmed bachelor roommates or sharing a consciousness. We are the Borg. Resistance is futile. <laughs> They're the collective consciousness. Moss is the body. Sabatelli is the mind. Uh, not much of a mind there. Okay. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> Some high points from the last two weeks. Looks like Ruby Riot and Sonya Deville are going to start feuding because they basically both blame the other for their loss to Ember Moon in the women's triple threat for women's championship contendership. Yeah, that'll be fun. I really liked the little doctor's office vignette that yeah. they cut against each other. I really like both of their attitudes. Sonia DeVille just saying, And to think this all could have been avoided had you just tapped out. And now you're sitting here injured, and I'm out of the women's championship picture. I obviously had both of you beat. I'm amazing. Seriously, you should have tapped. To which Ruby Riot says, Seriously? You should have broke it. I really like that dichotomy of the talent trained person and the person that's just super tough yeah it's a lot of fun it gave deville a lot more personality i thought than we were gonna get this early on into her to like develop because she's been coming out and squashing people and having good matches but i haven't heard her cut a very good promo yet so this was this was pretty cool yeah i kind of feel like she actually out maneuvered ruby riot in the in the dialogue she actually sounded more you know, wrestler-like to me. I don't know. She definitely felt a lot more sure of herself, but I think mm. part of that was probably because Ruby Riot had to do the whole thing with her ankle up on a table. <laughs> probably <laughs> takes you out of the moment a little bit. Yeah, yeah I imagine. Yeah. Um, heavy Machinery. There were a couple of great moments in the match they had, but the only one we need to talk about is Otis Dozovich doing, doing the, the worm. <laughs> Across the entirety of the ring. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. Some good stuff. That guy is definitely the charisma machine. They're a lot of fun. I could just watch that for the rest of my life. They do a fantastic job. I love that they know that they're over because they're giant. And they're just like, let's just do giant. We're big. We don't give a shit. We have the weirdest catchphrases in the world. Like, boom, boom, shabadoo. They're really leaning into that Fred Flintstone energy that they have. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was bringing it up the last time we talked where we were talking about the Street Profits. And I was like, well, that might be their foray into, like, comedy wrestling. And trying to, like, bring a more you know, balanced approach to the whole thing. And, and like, these guys are right there, too, because they're really fun. Watching them is great. But, like, could you imagine? I mean, you can't because no one would win them versus Street Profits. I mean, like, it's impossible. <laughs> it would just be a stalemate. Dozovich would get in the ring alone with the two of them. They'd stay in there for about 30 minutes, just the three of them. And then he'd tag, and then it'd just be, like, you know, 
the standard the Street Profits two versus one the entire yeah. time. And then at the end, they'd probably just, I don't know, uh, the bell would ring and they'd both drink out of solo cups and, and be friends. I don't know. Some stupid shit. They're too over. <laughs> you were really looking forward to Fabian Eichner versus Gargano. The nice thing is, like, I know Gargano could probably have a good match with a lot of people. You know, he's really athletic and everything. He goes for lawn darts on people and that shit looks horrifying when it lands, so you don't want it to happen. This showed, like, Eichner was really, really good. He was fantastic. He did not look like a slouch next to Gargano. And I think the crowd reacted to him really well, too. Fabian Eichner has just stopped being a cruiserweight, but yeah. they're both kind of similar, but Gargano is doing all of his weird slingshot moves, and Fabian Eichner is just doing all of the strong guy stuff. It It really looked good. Yeah, it looked fantastic. And... Really, he's so athletic as well. Like, when he leaps from the ring to the third rope with one leg, like, it's insane. That He's just really very fun to watch. And he really got... I mean, uh, he, he gets the attention of people that I'm watching... People around me when I'm watching the show who don't ever watch wrestling. Like, they're like, oh, who's that guy? We don't have to get into the match, but I just wanted to talk really quickly about the uh, backstage iconic duo promo where they're <laughs> they're doing the spyglass thing <laughs> where they're making fun of Peyton Royce's competition for the women's championship and after Amber Moon and Nikki Cross they start laying into Kyrie Sane doing a really amazing job yeah they do the the telescope they do the like our matey stuff <laughs> And then Kyrie shows up and cuts an entire promo without talking and just doing like J-pop dance moves at them. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I know when she was pointing at her elbow, she was like, I'm going to hit you with my elbow. Yeah. But, but you I, were kind of like, you're on the money there. It kind of does look like she's just doing like a move. Because like those like hyper choreographed j-pop k-pop dance routines she doesn't just point to her elbow she has a way of bringing yeah, her elbow standing, up yeah and pointing to it and then she does the like salute and then she does the eyeglass and then she marches off cassius ono barged into william regal's office like everybody does and demanded a match with there's no door on that office right <laughs> it's one of those like bead curtain things Mr. Regal, I want to have a match with some guy. He demands a match with Lars Sullivan. Mm. Uh, I really like this pairing. I I do too. Also really liked that Cassius Ono was wearing an old Cesaro t-shirt. Yes, I saw that and I knew you were going to, I knew you were going to say something about it. Um, it was pretty fucking sick. I just wanted to talk about the Cesaro t-shirt, really. <laughs> I don't blame you. It, it, that's a great shirt. That is a great shirt. Uh, and last but not least, Authors of Pain have teamed up with Roderick Strong for War Games. <laughs> this was, I think this is NXT's attempt at being like, well, we got to get the wrestlers used to weird shit that pisses the fans off. 
because that's what they're going to experience in in the main roster. So what we should do, right, is get everybody hyped up that Roderick Strong's going to join Undisputed Era, and it's going to be this big Ring of jo- Ring of Honor Circle Jerk Club, and then we should have him betray them and team up with two giant guys that just totally don't even fit at all aesthetically or storyline wise with Roderick Strong. And it's still better than Jinder Mahal's title run. I think it might have been the promo package last week or maybe this week. It cuts to Paul Ellering and he's delivering one of his stupid book promos that I still really (laughs) like. I don't mean to call it stupid, but you know what I mean. And the authors of Pain are behind him, but also Roderick Strong is just walking around without a shirt in the background. fun i feel like i feel like this pairing really telegraphs that roderick strong is about to turn somewhat because either he's no longer going to be a baby face because he's going to be like oh yeah you weird apocalypse people are right or probably more likely at the end of war games he's going to side with undisputed era I I don't see I feel like they're just pushing money off the table if they don't end up putting him with I mean I don't know maybe maybe you're right maybe he will get all weird and join up with the authors of pain and just be their little mascot or something like I don't know I just don't know how you can put a baby face with authors of pain not address just... that for two weeks and then at the end just have them part ways <laughs> because they haven't had a promo where they're like where roderick strong is like i don't yeah, like guys, these guys but let's all put our fists in the circle <laughs> or or even just saying like i don't like you but we both want to stop these two other teams no there's none of that he's just their friend now yeah well i mean he saved them from Adam Cole, and they saved him from Adam Cole. Yeah. I guess. Although, you know what would be really great not to completely derail this? What if Roderick Strong becomes for Authors of Pain what Zack Sabre Jr. has become for Suzuki Gun? Oh my god. That Where would he's be the awesome. one small flippy guy. And everybody else around him is just big bruisers. Well, El Despacito. Desperado. Des, despi, Desperado. Despi, you know. Desperado. That guy. He's their best buddies. Yeah. They're also skinny guys. But no, I know exactly what you're talking about. That would be great. But it would also be really weird because I don't think Roderick Strong could pull it off like Zack Sabre Jr. I don't think Roderick Strong could like sit in a chair and just act like... Nothing in the world matters, and yeah, of course I'm gonna fucking win this. I'm, I'm gonna kill this guy. I'm just gonna fucking just kill this guy. I didn't. I wasn't even trying last time. I'm that not. Wasn't I'm not necessarily submission. saying they start having the same character or gimmick. I'm just saying but that. I like, feel like if you're the small guy in a group of big brutal guys, you kind of have to be that, though, right? You kind of ha- yeah. You have to be the the small dog barking at everything to prove its stuff. Yeah, but that would be really cool. I just I just like it because it's that idea of like the authors of pain lost to a smaller, more agile team. And so they're like, we're going to be the same team. We're just going to add a smaller, more agile person to it so that 
That would be fun too. Yeah, no, I I like that idea. I feel like I could see the Undisputed Era thing coming later. Yeah. Just because I feel like they're building another stable. They're just like, Sanity is so successful. We need to have not just a three-man tag. We need a real full stable. So they're going to put, you know, Tainara Conti, and they're going to put more guys. Oh, speaking of which, uh, I am as excited for the ruby Sonya feud as I'm glad that the Nikki cross Tainara Conti feud seemed to immediately get squashed. Oh, yeah, you don't need that. That that wasn't she. She's fun, but she needs a little bit more work before that yeah, happens again. Her, her expressions are good, but it's just like I don't know. I thought it was weird. It didn't work as good as you'd think it would. No, but I like her with Undisputed Era. I think that's really fun. I think watching Adam Cole like pointing at stuff and like watching her going like, "Oh yeah, yeah," I <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was really great. I also really liked that. Yet again, when um, Roddy finally teamed up with AOP, Authors of Pain come out. They're kicking everybody's ass. What does Adam Cole do? Runs away. Of course. Fish and O'Reilly are getting absolutely destroyed, and the camera cuts to Adam Cole, and he's looking at them and does the cartoon double take of, like, should I run? Should I stay? No, I'll just run. (laughs) Oh, man, it's going to be great. How many months do you think it's going to take before Fish and O'Reilly go, hey, you don't do anything. What the fuck? Honestly, I think it might take a really long time because I really like it. And I think that I think it's I think it's really going well. I think people are really responding well to it. I think they're just going to keep feeding it to us. That's good. So, Alec. Yeah. You want to talk about the show this week? Oh, I thought we were not this whole week. Oh, you want to skip it? Okay, that's the end of the show. No, I'm fucking with you. Come on, let's go. Ha ha. Let's do it. Yeah. So, tonight, we're going to see Andrade Cien Almas and Drew McIntyre. It says... Man to man. Come face to face again, but... (laughs) Because last time it didn't work out. Really, it's face-to-face again for the first time. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't count if it's face-to-back of the head? All I want is for Drew McIntyre to keep going, just be a man and look me in the eye, and everybody to hit him in the back of the head. Well, you're in for a treat. (laughs) We're also promised Ember Moon versus Mercedes Martinez who they call the newcomer, which I guess she is, but also her whole character is that she's the veteran, so... Yeah. And then we go straight into our first match, which is Showtime! What's up, Showtime! Showtime! Here we go! Street Profits versus Sabatelli and Moss. Yeah. Very interesting match. Um, I like that Sabatelli and Moss are actually having pretty good crowd reactions now. Not like Street Profits, but then again, I don't think anyone can get a Street Profits reaction at this point. Yeah, Street Profits are insanely over, and they're insanely fun to watch. Let's talk about the entrances for a second, because Ooh, you're right. I'm glad. Sabatelli and Moss are getting over. I found it really interesting that Street Profits come out first, and 
everybody fucking loves them. And then Sabatelli and Moss come out, and half of the people that liked the Street Profits are now booing and thumbs down. But some people, they just like a good show, <laughs> so they start doing the, the money hands. Yeah. They love it. They're just there to be know. entertained, baby. Well, because they're actually very charismatic as well. A mixed reaction for Sabatelli and Moss, but not in the way that you usually mean mixed reaction. Yeah, no, it's just a real... There are people who really want to play into the heel face thing, but then there are people who are just like, I don't know, I like these guys. They are sharing a commune that is, for some reason, stocked with exquisitely made suits and cars, but they co-own everything. (laughs) They, They all... They have a... They're they're both on the uh, on the title for that car. Yeah, Sabatelli drives, but Moss has the key. <laughs> yeah, Moss refers to himself as the navigator a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the Street Profits come out. Percy is super excited for the Street Profits. Okay, showtime, baby. Morrow is super excited for the Street Profits. Every day the Street Profits are lit. Nigel thinks that they're a couple of punks. You guys lost me. No No appreciation for the culture, Nigel. He does not like the Street Profits. And then Nigel and Percy get into a conversation about race and class attitudes in America. (laughs) Where Nigel. What are these guys rebelling against? Nothing. See, you don't understand these guys come from nothing. So every day, every day they here, they gonna celebrate. I know you have a hard time understanding that because you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, huh, man? You know, they came from a hard place and they're just celebrating what they have now. And Nigel's like, I don't know, I think they're flaunting it. And Percy goes, well, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And Nigel goes, am I what? Silver spoon where? In your mouth? I really like he's never heard the expression before there are a number of times it might just be in this match but I feel like it's in the whole show today where they really play up the fact that Nigel is a stuffy British man and I really like that I I love when um Dawkins is stirring up on Sabatelli, and Nigel's like, he's stirring nothing. He's stirring nothing. <laughs> it's like, what the, what the hell? It's, it's like somebody told him, you're the heel, you've got to, you're the heel commentator, you've got to say something mean. And he's just like, I don't know what to say mean about these guys. I don't know. I think that it's kind of perfect, because it is... It, it's pretty good, yeah. He's like... Showing a weird, like, uh, right-leaning libertarian streak where he's like, I don't know, I just, there's something about these two men that I just find a little, (laughs) you know, Sabatelli and Moss. They're just more, they're my kind of people. Do you understand what I mean? They're my kind of people. Yeah. And I just don't understand what the Street Profits what that means i don't get it <laughs> they didn't spell profits right 
I also really liked that it is at that point when Percy is talking to Nigel about class attitudes in America that Sabatelli and Moss show up. Like, no, you don't understand it. They had a hard life. Not everybody's born to wealth and a life of ease and then Sabatelli and Moss show up and their whole (laughs) thing is throwing away money on bullshit. (laughs) This is the first real match that the Street Profits have had. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Sabatelli and Moss actually are a hurdle for them to get over and for a minute you wonder if they're going to get over it. But of course they get over it. They're the Street Profits. I mean, come on. Who can stop them? No one. These guys could probably maybe even beat Roman Reigns. Morrow and Percy are commenting on, I think, Moss and how he's built. <laughs> and they say that he could be like a good second lineman or something. <laughs> and Nigel goes, what? Now what position did Sabatelli play? Free safety. Free safety? It's a position in football. I've never heard of that. <laughs> i like that nigel is becoming the guy that understands wrestling really well but anything that isn't strictly wrestling he's done no research to live in america yeah well he's only here for the wrestling come on street profits get a lot of crowd support and tino sabatelli and riddick moss have moments where People are literally shouting out, Tino, you suck. I heard a let's go, Tino, though, in the beginning. There are people that like these guys. And it kind of makes me wonder about them personally. But at one point, Moss does his favorite thing, which is stealing somebody's gimmick and using it against them. Because Moss slams Montez Ford into the canvas and then does the stirring up hand thing at him. With authority, Moss drives Ford to the canvas with that belly-to-back suplex. The audience that was mixed on Sabatelli and Moss, everybody starts booing. (laughs) Yes. Screw you! Judging by the NXT Universe reaction, Sabatelli and Moss's fan club is tantamount to the population of Buford, Wyoming. Look it up, Nigel. One person lives there. They fi- they figured it out. See, that's the other thing. They redeem themselves. They know how to get it. They know how to get the anger. Oh, yeah. No, they, they can get heat or just be neutral. They can't really get complete support because of how they look and how they are. But Yeah, no, exactly. But they can get half the audience on their side, and then they know the perfect way to immediately tank that in an instant. The Street Profits spend the first half of the match working together as well as they ever do, which is really well together, but, you know. Basement dropkick, smash, and the Street Profits! Oh, yeah! And Fuego! Mind's a business. But their tandem offense of spending 10 minutes in the ring with somebody can't actually keep either Sabatelli or Moss down, and eventually Moss... Gets on top of Montez Ford and both Sabatelli and Moss take turns beating the living hell out of him. Montez has got to come up with some offense. He's looking worse for wear right now. He's got to find a way to get to his partner and get out of there. 
What do you think it is about the street profits that's going to get in the victory here today, Percy? I couldn't understand you from that thick accent. What? I said... Looks really bad until Moss has him ready, goes for a backdrop, and Montez Ford flips out of it, lands on his feet, dodges around to tag in Angelo Dawkins, who cleans him up. Angelo Dawkins does a really amazing running bulldog on Moss. Ducks under the lariat of Moss and drives Moss face first into the canvas with the bulldog. Um, he does some corner splashers, and that's when, at one point, he does the stirred up motion before doing another corner splash, and Nigel, as he mentioned before, is like, I don't get it. He's not stirring up anything. They're not cooking anything. Stirring it up. Whatever that means. He's stirring oh. it up, and he's turning up here in NXT. He's stirring nothing. Nothing. <laughs> While Nigel complains about black culture, uh, he sucker punches Tino. Ford does his job from outside of the ring, holds Moss back, prevents the save, and the Street Profits win. And that means into the crowd they go. <laughs> this wasn't a three-minute match, and then they go into the audience and yell A for two minutes. <laughs> This was yeah. a six-minute match, and then they ran into the audience, and Montez Ford balanced a little toy on the top of his head. Black and gold forever, baby. Time to fill up that cup. Are you going to celebrate, Percy? No. Come on. Get out your seat and move your feet. You Join him in? No. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and this segment ends with Percy and Morrow giving Nigel shit, which is, like, yeah. perfect. I really liked this match. I enjoyed... I was surprised to see a Street Profits match that lasted longer than three minutes and was good. Yeah, they didn't wear out their welcome. Because yeah. so far, we've only been shown them having fun. And so when you I say... I was nervous that it wouldn't work. Yeah, when you say... What about a five or ten minute long Street Profits match? In your head, you're thinking, so are they just going to do that for ten minutes? Jesus, that's going to go on for a while. Because you forget, no, they're actual wrestlers. They can do stuff. Yeah, they can get, they can sell like getting hit by moves. Yeah. So it's, so the other guys will get a chance, which is the one thing that we've been missing. I, I liked it. I liked it. Overall, I thought it was very good. I thought the commentary brought a serious upgrade to the match in general because Nigel was so awkward. And Percy actually sounded like he was really commentating a match. It just was great. It was really fun. I don't know if it's an NXT directive or if it's just when Percy feels most comfortable, but he really seems to come out of his shell when there's black performers in ring. And that's too bad because it makes me want to hear more of him yeah but you know the people he talks the most about are ember moon velveteen dream and street profits and especially street profits street profits show you up love street profits you, know, you can throw out your percy soundboard because yeah. he's actually sitting there making jokes about what they're doing he gets their references maybe that's it maybe that's why 
he talks more at this and like Nigel talks more for, uh, you know, I don't know, whenever they do a UK championship match on NXT. Because he's like, Oi, I understand this. Pete Dunn puts the belt in his mouth. That's what we do all the time in jolly old England. We call them leather tongues, we do. Yeah, that's what I don't. Eh. Yeah, you lost nah, it. That wasn't I think we both lost yeah. it. It's easy to lose. After this really fun uh, opening match, we have a promo package for Velveteen Dream and Alistair Black at TakeOver War Games. Will this be the best match of the night? Probably. Yeah. It's going to be really good. I mean, this is going to be awesome. I'd love to see Velveteen Dream just pop up again. I know it's not going to happen, but that was one of the best things that happened all year. Well, you got a little bit of that because they replayed that clip in this promo Mm. package. The second it happened, I started clapping. It was really good. I was like an annoying person at the end of a movie. Just clapping to no one. They got together. Next, Lars Sullivan in action. He is in action next. He's beating on my boy. You can see it's not the where where the fuck's Benoni now, huh? So match number two. It's Lars Sullivan versus Raul Mendoza, and I didn't write down Raul Mendoza for a long time because It promised us Lars Sullivan in action and never told us who his competitor was going to be. Do you think it was one of those things where they just were like, oh shit, we forgot. Raul, you're here. Do you have your gear? (laughs) Well, the last two times they've done this, somebody has ambushed the person on the the ramp. So I thought that we were never going to find out who the second person was. Yeah, but you'll never see Cassius Ono ambush anybody. He's just too nice. That's true. He's a real hero. Um, Uh-oh, I'm losing him. Time for the A material. I do also want to point out, it took me a while to realize it was Raul Mendoza because I was laughing at Nigel's line when Lars came in that this harkens back to a different age in sports entertainment. Harks back to a bygone era of sports entertainment, doesn't he? When men were men and women and children were scared. That's uh, a nice bit of hyperbolic line reading from <laughs> Nigel McGuinness. I, I think, do you think maybe Moro's arrival like has gotten these guys to be like, shit, we got to kick it up. <laughs> we can't do hip hop references because that's kind of his thing. So We can't yell Mamma Mia. <laughs> what can we do? Percy, you're going to yell Ichiban all the time, and uh, I'm going to act like I'm writing a gothic novel. That'd work. Why don't we see that? I think Nigel heard the shepherd for society's lost souls, and he was like, I'm going to do you one better. Something I noticed, which obviously is the whole point of this match, but Raul Mendoza is over 100 pounds lighter than Lars Sullivan. <laughs> and I wrote down, either we're going to see three Tilt-A-Whirl DDTs or he's going to be thrown into the stratosphere. <laughs> nope. Lars is an effective heel. 
you're going to see more dumb, dumb cross faces. That's what you're going to see. Moro likens the whole thing to David and Goliath, which, again, that is the point of this match. Right. Raul gets some heat early on, primarily using his speed and agility. But Lars very effectively counters a springboard crossbody with simply a headbutt to his stomach. There you go. Oh! oh headbutt. Oh, my goodness. I've never a seen something like that. A battering ram for a forehead. Lars Sullivan drives Mendoza down as Mendoza was taking to the air. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, but... The best thing about Lars Sullivan is he's very efficient. The flashiest stuff he does is like vertical suplex. But if he can just take you down by a single headbutt or a single punch, he'll just do that and yell at the audience for a couple minutes. Yeah. He's got to get that spit out of his mouth. He gets in some cross faces, which I know that you love. You know it. It's my absolute favorite move of all time. He sits there and bumps his bicep against Raul's face a couple dozen times. Because they need time for the commentary to hype his fight with Ono. So I'm sure the ref was like, hey, don't do anything impressive for a minute. Power slam by Sullivan. Operative word being power. Crushing Cross faces by Sullivan on Mendoza. Talk about facing Lars Sullivan, of course. NXT TakeOver War Games. And I think that it is all a way to get people to really boo him. Other than, you know, like, oh, yeah, I beat the wrestlers up after I win. Yeah, oh, that's bad. But look what I el- well, look what else I do. I do a boring move a lot. I still think that it's just that... You can't do a rest hold with Lars Sullivan because Lars Sullivan would never want to choke somebody out. And also, no, if agree. he sat there and legitimately punched you in the top of the head, you'd be like, so that guy should be dead now. I mean, I feel I feel like I could see him doing rest holds that are just like Argentine backbreakers. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Like torture racks and like that kind of stuff or like a, a rest hold that's like a vertical suplex that's a minute long. <laughs> Just lean him up, lean him up against the wall of the arena, and hold him there for not, not even needed. He he's so big and powerful. He'll just hold him straight up, and then they'll kind of look at each other upside down to right side up, and be like, "So what are we gonna do next?" After commentary hypes the Ono fight on Saturday, he finally goes to do a move that looks like it would be effective in hurting somebody, which is his finisher, which I never knew it had a name. Okay, then I'm pretty sure this is the first time it was named. Because I was going to ask you about this. I don't remember hearing Freak Accident before. But that's a really good name for him. (laughs) There's the Freak Accident by Sullivan. And Sullivan dispatches well Mendoza. But that's a really good name for him. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. His finisher is the Freak Accident. And it's a wasteless side slam. And Lars wins. No shit. Yeah, obviously. What do you think the uh, odds were on Raul Mendoza? I don't know, like... 10,000 to probably 1? Probably the same as, like, anybody versus the Street Profits, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, this is it. They're going to be the ones that beat Lars Sullivan. Are you sure? No. Because it could also be heavy machinery. Could be a 50-50 chance. Oh, that's true, Lars Sullivan. Ooh, 
Nah, it's Lars Sullivan and Heavy Machinery teaming up to fight Authors of Pain and Roderick Strong. <laughs> <laughs> that might be. They could just call themselves Heavier Machinery. The worst booked match I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Who would want to see that? I mean, I guess I would just to see it, but Jesus Christ. I'd like to see if Roderick Strong can pull a, can do a backbreaker on Dozovich. <laughs> you think he could do that without breaking his own knee? So Lars goes to devour Raul Mendoza after he wins, like he does with everybody that he beats. And obviously, Cassius Ono shows up. Huge pop. Ono doesn't look scared. He's known as the knockout artist. Will he be able to knock out the seemingly unstoppable Lars Sullivan. I don't know if it's just that everybody hates Lars Sullivan that much because, again, people really hate Lars Sullivan. Everybody that was a turncoat in the Street Profits Sabatelli and Moss match where they cheered both teams, when Lars came out, they were firmly in the this guy can go fuck. I don't like him. <laughs> he's yeah. mean. He's ugly. He beats up people I like. Fuck Lars Sullivan. I'll never forgive him for No Way Jose. So, I don't know if it's just that people hate Lars Sullivan that much. I feel like they're doing a much better job of threading the needle with Cassius Ono than the main roster did with Sami Zayn when they were doing that, like, underdog, try-hard babyface who maybe loses more than he wins, but everybody really supports him. Um... They've been giving Cassius Ono just enough winning matches that you kind of don't care that he's definitely losing against Lars Sullivan this Saturday. He, I feel like it's almost a bygone conclusion, but I could almost see him being the guy that beats Lars Sullivan. But that's what I mean, and, and that's why I think that they're doing a better job with him than they really the are, main yeah. roster did with Sami Zayn. Because his build is so realistic. Yeah. Sami Zayn, they had him on such a losing streak that when he won the next match, he would go, well, now he's going to lose because they're not going to have him win twice in a row. Whereas Cassius Ono, you kind of think like, yeah, maybe this is going to be the moment. Maybe this is when he starts winning a bunch. He's also, he's a big striker and... Like I was saying in the Oni Lorcan and uh, Danny Birch versus Lars Sullivan match, that's kind of like the the archetype that could beat the giant grappler. Like you can just get one big punch in and like, oh wow, he knocked him out. You know, you could yeah. do it. You could actually do it. Yeah, if he gets so a discus elbow in or something. I could see like a running boot or something starting a big wave of offense, and then maybe you know, maybe a real rally, and then he'll probably lose, or maybe he'll even not like actually win but i like the lars's reaction to this which is just to laugh at cassius ono and walk out of the ring that was awesome because too often they give you too much shit in the actual show before the pay-per-view so you're just like oh i kind of have a preview but this is like this was a storytelling giving you shit because they're like now you know the attitude going in but they're not blowing any of the performance. Especially because there's less of this in NXT, but 
obviously there is an assumption with a lot of people who watch WWE products that if two people fight on the go home show, whoever won that fight is going to lose at the pay-per-view. And so by just having Cassius Ono show up and Lars think about fighting him and then be like, ah, I'll fucking get you on Saturday. Who knows what that means? It, it, it yeah. just builds up. You've got to watch this match. Nothing else. And him laughing at, at Ono made me actually, that was what cemented in my mind. Oh shit. Ono might actually win. Cause this is like the thing <clears throat> that they can play in the promo like right before the match and then he'll win and it'll look great. If it was anybody else, Lars Sullivan probably would have just gone over and beaten him up. And so you don't have to see Cassius Ono hit Lars Sullivan or Lars Sullivan act afraid of Cassius Ono to know, oh, they both know that Ono is a threat to Lars Sullivan. Yeah, it's it's but Sullivan also doesn't take it as a big enough threat to be afraid of him. He's just like, okay, I won't kill Raul Mendoza in front of you, but I think it's like a really fun and exciting way because there's no fucking uh, weird fucking Titan Tron shit with baby dolls. Yeah. (laughs) So after all this, we cut to Regal's office. He is, of course, in the middle of telling a story. He says, Oh, John, hello. Thank you for coming to prom. You should have seen it. Oh, Johnny Gargano, hello. (laughs) It's just as funny hearing it again from someone else. Gargano is here. Uh, Regal actually asked to see him this time. He says, I asked for you to come here because I wanted to tell you that Pete Dunne wants to fight somebody on NXT for the UK championship, and I've fingered you. And I think that you could do this. Um, so Gargano is definitely losing this match. Yeah, because what? Is he going to do like a northern accent afterwards? Yeah, what is he going to do? Go to England? Or not even that. I'm now from Birmingham. How can Pete Dunne lose that They'll never take... That's his actual mouth. (laughs) That belt is his mouth. You can't take that off of him. He's so perfectly the UK champion. Yeah, he really is. Um, And also... This is going to be a great match, If Johnny Gargano tries to attempt an English accent, it's going to sound like he's a fucking chimney sweep in Mary Poppins. It is not going to go well. Ladies and gents. Then we get a package for the War Games match. Oh. It was a really good package. Yeah, this was a better package, I think, even than the one that they did last week. Even though the last week one was really fun because it had all the old guys that were in War Games. I did really like this one. I like that they silenced all the yes chants when Roddy got the armband. Yeah. In the flashback. I was like, whoa. They're really telling a story now. They're doing some they're doing some main roster audience trickery shit. <laughs> really building a lot of hype for this War Games match even though apparently it's not going to have a roof. Triple H actually was interviewed and was basically like we really liked the concept 
but wrestling is now a lot more about moonsaults and phoenix splashes and shit than it was in the late 80s early 90s so you you don't really want to put a roof on people anymore i don't know i think i'd have a lot of fun just watching the authors of pain like grab adam cole and rub him across the chain link fence well you're still gonna get that because the fence is around the sides so there there will probably be a prolonged shot of adam cole being pushed through a fence Sure. No, uh, I believe that the expression is no flips, just scraping someone along a cave. Now we come to match three. We've got Mercedes Martinez versus Ember Moon. It was really good. Yeah, I like this match a lot. I still want to see a Martinez versus Blair feud. Mercedes Martinez versus Bianca Blair. That would be, like, so much more fun, almost, I think, than this. I would have actually liked to have seen that better than this, yeah, but I, this I, was I, really good. I want that more, but I want that as a continuing feud. And this match has some of the components of what I find interesting in a potential Mercedes-Martinez-Bianca Blair feud, which is the reason that Martinez and Moon are fighting tonight is because even though Martinez just showed up, and just lost her qualifying match. She thinks that because she's a vet, she knows that Ember Moon isn't up for it. Right? And I really like that basis for a match and that basis for a feud, which is a vet who actually has no ground to stand on just being like, I've been here for X number of years and you don't have it. It's a less obnoxious, more realistic adam cole on nxt yeah yeah definitely because he comes out and says we're undisputed and you say you haven't done anything yeah i love that they keep saying that too they keep saying that even though every single one of their matches has ended in a disqualification when somebody else ran in yeah there hasn't even been one match martinez though it's so interesting i liked this match a lot but i was having I was actually a little nervous about even the booking when I first was watching it and I didn't know what was going to happen because I'm like, well, you can't have Ember Moon lose before the four-way because then she looks... So this is Ember Moon's like big problem. She always, no matter how great she is and no matter the fact that her character is, I will get hit with stuff and I will still keep fighting. I will... My move will get countered like three times and I'm still going to go for that same move. I'm just so tough and I'm just so fast and I'm so explosive that I know I can make things happen even if you have my number. Like that's her thing. But the thing is, it's like she can't – she was losing so much to Asuka. She always ended up looking weaker than that suggests. And like you can't have her lose before going to the four-way because then she looks terrible. And I don't know, I mean, Mercedes can take the loss, but I mean, like, I don't know why you have the match. But then I kind of started feeling it when it was actually happening, and I got to see that it was like, oh, this is reinforcing that Ember Moon character. Because Mercedes is, I'm the vet, I know everything, I have the ring experience, and Ember Moon is like, you might have that, but I will explode on you. And I'll take all your moves and I'll get up. But it's also reinforcing 
Mercedes Martinez really well because yeah, she also tanks through a whole bunch and you know shrugs off a lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect her to. But sure, and not just that, she also counters like a ton yeah. Of- I was the first half of this match is. Mercedes Martinez has scouted Ember Moon, and whether it's legal or not, always has a counter to anything that she does. So sometimes it's holding on to the ropes after being tossed into the ropes because she knows that Ember Moon is going to go for a dropkick. Other times it's holding on to hair so that Ember Moon can't get away from her. Not Not a legal one. Well, you're not going to beat Moon with it, but you're going to keep on top. She knows Ember Moon. She's watched her matches. Like you said, the first half of this match, Ember Moon has to tank through a bunch of offense from Mercedes Martinez. And Martinez looks really smart because she looks like she runs the ring. Eventually, Moon starts countering Martinez, and then all of a sudden, they're both dodging each other's moves and just looking for one lucky strike. And when the strikes happen, uh, they are loud and they are sold really well. They look like they hurt like fucking shit, man. Reversal by Martinez, and she crashes that forearm into the face of Moon. Well, now we're seeing what I thought would be Martinez's best advice from the beginning, striking. The chop may have been a little oversold, but I think everybody oversells chops. Yeah, of course. That's my thing. Mercedes Martinez eventually gets Moon with two snap suplexes and then an incredibly impressive stalling vertical suplex. Oh, snap suplex by Martinez. Maybe an homage to Eddie Guerrero with the three amigos here by Mercedes Martinez. What? Oh, no, it's delayed vertical suplex. Martinez, a student of the game, gets a two count. I think that Mercedes Martinez naturally has the charisma of a heel enough that people aren't going to cheer for her. But she does that stalling vertical suplex. And after a couple of seconds, everybody in the crowd starts doing a Japan wrestling fan style golf clap. They're like, yes, this is this is very impressive. Everybody gets quiet for a second when they realize how long this is going on for. I'm not going to cheer for you because you seem like a real asshole, but (laughs) that's really something to see. But that just gets a two count on Ember Moon. Of course. Three suplexes and Ember Moon kicks out pretty easily. You know, you you saw the big roar. She does the whole, she gets the whole Roman Reigns treatment. Yeah. (laughs) um but no she she's good ember is i believe it when ember gets up out of stuff like that because she's you know that's her character she's just really enduring she's been built as somebody that you know she's kind of like um the women's nxt division version of jason you can blow him away with a shotgun and he'll fall down but the second you aren't looking at him he's gonna stand back up and start coming at you again Yeah, I can see it. I mean, her whole thing right now, for better or for worse, is don't fuck with me. I tangled with Asuka. So it's like, yeah, if if Asuka could kick me in the face, there's no way you can kick me in the face that hard. 
Moon kicks out and Martinez is blown away in a way that I feel like a lot of wrestlers do this kind of selling after somebody kicks out. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, people kick out, dummy. Like, it happens. Yeah. But this time I was like, okay, that's kind of believable. You just hit him with three suplexes and Ember Moon is like, no, I'm not done. Moon hits Martinez with a step up in Seguri and then a Hurricane Rana that throws her out of the ring. Wow. Step up in Seguri by Moon and that drops Martinez to a knee. Is protesting the pain and there a beautiful Hurricane Rana by Ember Moon that sends Martinez all the way to the outside. Moon does a really impressive Tope Suicida to the ramp, which I like having that NXT ramp closer to the ring because when somebody does a Tope Suicida, you can hear them clang into the metal of the ramp and it really sells it as like... Yeah. What does she do now? She looks like she's going to pull out all the stops despite... An opportunity at the NXT Women's Title on Saturday! Suicida! Amber Moon throwing caution to the wind! And this is the kind of competitor that she is! I was already really liking this match, but that was the moment that I realized, like we talked about before, that this match was going to be building both of these people really well. Because she hits Martinez, and she rolls Martinez back into the ring. And we get the classic NXT chant. And basically, the NXT chant is the chant of... I don't know who I like more in this match, so I'm just going to express that I like watching this match. She goes for an eclipse on Martinez, but Martinez fights back and does a running Tower of London. What does Martinez have in mind here? A running version of the Tower of London. Something you know very well as Ember Moon kicks out in two. Mercedes goes for the Fishman's Buster, and that's when Moon counters it into a roll-up. And then finally, after some stiff strikes against Martinez. Well, there's a mistake. Martinez getting tangled up into the ropes. Oh, and a roundhouse kick to the spine by Moon. Driving the sole of her boot into the midsection of Martinez. Moon does the eclipse, and obviously only Asuka can kick out of the eclipse, so. This is the kind of competitor. Of course, she yeah. is! The eclipse! She hits Martinez with the eclipse! And will this be a sign of things to come? Saturday at TakeOver! Three days before. Takeover War Games. Martinez really made Moon go the distance, and I'm guessing that that's going to come into play with the match itself, but it also, I think, really built both of these people. I liked the story again of like experience versus the explosion of Ember Moon. I felt like, although the Eclipse, of course, wins the match, I feel like the Enzigiri was the was the key move in the match because she hits an Enzigiri and then later when she goes for Enzigiri on on a on Martinez she sees it so well she's like oh you're setting up an Enzigiri and she gets out of the way and takes advantage again and it's really just the fact that Ember Moon keeps trying to go for the Enzigiri even though she knows that it can be countered and it can be countered pretty easily 
It shows her character as being, I'm scrappy. I know I'm really good. I know you're really good at beating this move, but I don't care. I'm going to do this move again. And when she hits her with the enziguri, that's when I was like, ooh, it's turning. It's going to be in her favor. This is with the suicide dive and all that stuff comes right after. And I just felt like this was the key part of the move for me. That last enziguri hitting. And I was like, ooh, okay. So I kind of really understood. And I felt like they told the story really well with that. Yeah. So Moon has won. Nikki's music hits. Nikki's custom music. And nobody has figured this out yet, but Ever turns to look at the ramp because obviously Nikki's going to come down the ramp. But no. Nikki always comes on the ramp. No. Come on. Nikki comes from the audience entrance. That's what she's done the last three times. Come on, people. You got to get this together. Well, they're just waiting for that one episode where her entrance music hits and they just look at the audience and she comes down the ramp. Adorable little Nikki. She is laughing and smiling like a fucking maniac. And just when it seems like shit might pop off between Nikki and Ember, Peyton's music hits. Peyton does come down the ramp. She doesn't do this audience entrance shit. But she doesn't even have a chance to start vamping. She's halfway down the ramp when Kyrie Sane's music hits. And... She comes out and, like I mentioned before, starts doing, like, J-pop voguing, marching yeah. around like a maniac. This is where she kind of is interesting for me because everybody loves her, but at the same time, she's so goofy that I just feel like at this moment when they would pan across the crowd, you would catch a lot of people, like, looking at each other, like, smiling and maybe giggling, like, look at her, she's so fucking weird. So... You'd see, even at the ramp, you just see people, like, smiling and, like, staring at her, like, huh, that's fun. (laughs) Like, it's just weird. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, actually. And I think it's because she is ostensibly, in a weird way, Asuka's successor. She is an incredibly dominant Japanese women's wrestler who has already taken NXT by storm. She has all of the makings of another Asuka, except that the key difference is where Asuka was mysterious and brooding, she comes out and like hits three or four different poses and stomps around like she's marching down a ship like a maniac. Like, yeah, she makes an eyeglass thing. And she spins a wheel. Yeah. Every once in a while, she comes out in a feather hat as big as her body. And when she comes out wearing the coat, she'll like hold it up in front of her face and then like swoosh as it. As though like nobody knows who Count she Dracula? is. Who is that behind that cape? Who is that? Oh my God, it's Kyrie Sane. I mean, it's really cool and it's really fun. But if people have the expectation that she's going to be the next Asuka... She's definitely not going to be the next Asuka because she's way too sweet and fun. Like, Asuka comes out and, yeah, she's really fun too. But she's fun and wild. She looks like maybe, oh, maybe she's like a crazy drunk person in a mask running around like going, and then she's a monster. Uh, Kairi Sane is like a cute, adorable, fun pirate that everybody loves. But that's... And she's just fun. And she salutes people. That's what I'm... Yeah, you're right. The key difference is... Asuka was mysterious and 
there is nothing mysterious about Kyrie Sane because she wears she literally wears everything on her sleeve, including a compass rose on her elbow that she points to so that she could go, <laughs> I'm going to elbow you. Like Asuka yeah. didn't come out with a t-shirt of a padlock on it that had Asuka <laughs> written on it to be like, I'm going to put you in the Asuka lock. <laughs> she comes out in a mask and she's like, ooh, who is this strange person? Kyrie Sane is like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a pirate princess. And everybody's like, <laughs> oh, that's your gimmick? And she goes, what, what's a gimmick? I'm a pirate princess. I mean, she's so much fun, though. She is really great. It's just, it's so different. And this is the kind of thing that I trust NXT with her because I feel like they're not going to try and make her the next Asuka. They have talked about Asuka when she comes out on the stage a couple of times. But I think as time goes on, they're just going to drop that and just be like, Kyrie saying the amazing pirate. Yeah. I, I have faith. And then You know if she makes it on the main roster, they're gonna be like, Asuka too. Yeah. Can you dye your hair pink? <laughs> Asuka's doing pink and green. Why don't you do blue and orange? Plays really well in New York. <laughs> we end with Kyrie Sane, Nikki Cross, Amber Moon, Peyton Royce. They're all standing at each other. The audience is going crazy. Can't be more hype for this fucking women's match. Will it be the best match of TakeOver War Games? Probably. Probably. So finally, we come to the already hyped, I think, three times face-to-face between Drew McIntyre and Andrade Cien Almas. I just want to point out that it's not just Drew. It's your Uncle Drew. Yeah, it's your Uncle Drew. He comes out, he's dressed as your oh, uncle. Oh, yeah. He doesn't have... He says, you kids are in trouble now, Zelina and, and Andrade. You guys are in trouble now. You poked the bear. He doesn't have his uh, metal-studded leather jacket. He nope. is fully in... T-shirt and jeans mode. He's taking it easy. He, I mean, I think he just figured out with the Bobby Roode stuff, he was just like, I look really good in a T-shirt and jeans. <laughs> I'm a great dad. I think it's more like Finn Balor, where like, mm. he knows I can't come out in my ring gear all the time. There are some people that can do that, you know? Kyrie Sane, Kyrie Sane not in her ring gear is weird. I don't want to see that. Do you even know who she is if she's not wearing a pirate outfit? Yeah. But Drew McIntyre, you don't need to wear a sleeveless leather coat 24-7. That's a very weird choice. And he's finally realized that. I also want to point out, Nigel calls him the Celtic Colossus. Yeah, they've been going crazy with the uh, nicknames recently. Yeah. I've been really liking it. So Drew McIntyre comes out and actually congratulates... Almas and Vega for getting their match. It's great when a plan comes together, isn't it? Congratulations, Almas. Your plan worked. You've got your NXT championship opportunity, and you've got it at TakeOver War Games. It was a good job, but warns them that that was the easy part. Anybody can ask for a match. He's got the belt. 
and that means that he's already proved himself. But Almas, it is quite clear what kind of man I am. When the big lights in Houston are on, Andrade, will you be able to say the same? He goes back to the Vega promo from three weeks ago. He says that Vega warned him about climbing mountains and running out of air. The lovely, fiery, feisty Zelina. You've been rambling on about mountains. I am the bloody mountain. That was great. It got a pop. Yeah. These are the Drew McIntyre promos I knew he could do. You saw his like smarmy face yeah, too, yeah. like swinging the title around. Like he's like, look at my giant ass dick. Yeah. I don't think you understand. You want this. I already have it. I am the champion. So why should I be afraid of you? There's a little bit of some like sexist masculine bullshit going on. Can I say something incredibly sexist? Come out here for once and face me like a man. Unless, of course, Zelina's not going to let you off the leash for the night. Uh oh. Did I say that or just think it? Andrade's music hits, but he doesn't come out. Zelina Vega comes out and does the little finger wave. And he and Drew, Drew does it Drew too. McIntyre does the finger wave back to him. Oof. This is really yeah. good. I really like You know what? If it doesn't work out with Zelina Vega and Andrade, I think she should manage Drew McIntyre next. I don't understand it, because I've seen some people online saying that they've been really bored with the build of this feud, and I love it. What? I find it so fun. What? I was bored this has been with cool. everything else Drew McIntyre was doing, but the second Zelina Vega showed up, I've been enjoying their uh, weird chemistry. All three of them work really well off each other. Yeah. She's so great. She like just wakes people up to shit because you can see Drew. Drew is like actually enjoying himself doing these promos. Yeah. So Drew waves back. He's being cute. And then there's just a really long pause where Selena Vega just stands on the entrance ramp. And just as Drew is getting fed up and like turns his back, like he's going to like go try to find where Andrade Cien Almas is. Cien just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> like they were clearly trying to get into his mind and make him think that Cien was about to jump him from behind. But no, Andrade walks out. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he looks at Zelina Vega, gets the nod, takes off his jacket, and storms the ring. Drew's already got his shirt oh, off. Oh, yeah. They're, they're ready Whoop. to go. Here comes Andrade Cienomas, and Drew McIntyre's ready for battle. They're not going to wait for TakeOver oh, Warriors. It is on McIntyre and Almas. They are. They wrestle punch each other, which I hate, but I know it's they necessary. They wrestle punch each other for a while, too. Zelina Vega tries to do a crossbody from the top rope, and he just catches yeah. her. They are brawling in the center of the ring. Hostilities epic. What the? What? Oh, come on. Wow. Drew gets the upper hand. Zelina, she remembers the match with Roderick Strong. She's like, oh, right. I'm trained to be a wrestler also. I'll attack Drew. And Drew... Catches her from the flying crossbody 
and then just very gingerly set her down. Vega looked like she came out of the rafters. Almost with that chop block on the left leg. What? What the hell are Why you doing? Why did you do that? I'm three times your size. That was never going to work. <laughs> and while he's dressing her down, Almas uses that to do a chopping block tackle to Drew's left knee. And Drew goes down and Andrade starts wailing. Finally gets him in a hammerlock DDT, his finisher. No! Hammerlock DDT! Which Drew sells with a complete flip on the back of his neck, which I really liked. It's almost like uh, it's almost like The Rock yeah. took it. He looks like The Rock <laughs> taking a stunner. Like he he sells the shit out of this hammerlock DDT. And then of course, Vega and Almas grab the belt and gloat over Drew, and Vega yells. This is yours, Almas, as she points to the belt. Zelina Vega motivating her charge. I am glad Almas. This is when he gets booed. Yeah, by everybody the way. is really angry. Um, really great way to finish off the uh, to finish off the show. I think I like any NXT that ends with. Zelina Vega and Andrade Cien Almas. She's so great right now. I don't even know. So much of it is her, but it's also the chemistry that she has with Almas. And Drew, for that matter. But she has a different chemistry with both of them. So even when it's That's even true. when it's just Zelina Vega and Almas, like there was that promo a couple of weeks ago. Um where they were just in a dark room like WWE likes to do. The way that the way that Almas and Vega interact is so captivating. They they feed back on each other in a really interesting way yeah. that I that I really like. There's a real air of mutual respect actually that comes through. Um and so that's the show. Uh it was kind of a light show because it's the go home show oh, to the uh, pay per view this weekend. So there were a lot of yeah, extended but packages. Speaking of the pay per view, speaking of the pay per view this weekend, yeah. Tristan, I have a question to ask what? you because this Andrade Cianalmas match and Drew McIntyre, this is going to be on the pay per view. Yeah. So is this going to be the best match of the pay per view? Oh, probably. Probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's going to be mm. a great match. Yeah. But the only thing that worries me about it is it's a title match that isn't the main event match. Right. And that, that can sometimes worry me. Yeah, I can understand that too. But it just seems like they have so many irons in the fire yeah. right now. Like everything seems to be so hot right yeah. now. And obviously it's called fucking take over war games so the war games match is obviously going to be the yeah. main event yeah I'm, I'm super excited for this whole the whole card i'm even excited for the for the women's four-way and i'm not always a big fan of like four ways and stuff for for titles yeah. but i'm i'm excited for that like every match looks like it's going to be really good we'll talk about that more in a minute i feel like it's a given but did you like this episode
Yes. Oh, I loved it. This was really fun. Even though there were a lot of, it was really promo heavy, which normally I'm not super down with. I like to watch NXT because I like to watch wrestling, but there was, the promos were good. The action was great. The commentary was really fun this time. Like, I know it's always pretty fun, but I, it, it was staggeringly different. Yeah. Nigel was so weird. <laughs> Nigel was being a weirdo the entire time. Percy actually had opinions about stuff, and Moro is still one of the best wrestling commentators alive. So I think that NXT understands how to build a go-home show so much better than the main roster. And really, the shows for a couple of weeks leading up to a pay-per-view, because the main roster likes to show you matches between the two people that are going to have a pay-per-view. That's yeah. stupid. That's not good, because then why watch the pay-per-view? You just watched it. That was the episode. You want to tackle one more big topic? All right, I think we cool. could. Take over War Games. I'm going to pull up the card. Predictions for each match. And I think that what we should okay. talk about is what we think is going to happen and what we want to happen. Because those are sometimes two very okay. different things. As far as we know, it isn't going to change at all unless somebody gets the mumps. Well, I don't think we have to worry about that. I think everybody's inoculated over there. I hope. So first we have Cassius Ono versus Lars Sullivan. Safe money's on Lars winning still. I think they're not done building him as an unstoppable monster. It's not a bad thing to have a giant unstoppable monster. Um, so I, I feel like Lars is probably going to win, and I'd be happy with that. If Ono pulls it off, that would be surprising. It would be shocking. It would be like a really great, fun moment that would make me go, whoa. But if Lars wins, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's we're, I'm still on the Lars train. I still hate his guts, but I can't wait to keep watching yeah, his go. Yeah, it, it makes sense story-wise for him to end up demolishing Cassius Ono. I feel like this match is going to be Cassius Ono, first real actual threat to Lars Sullivan. And it's going to be an actual wrestling match. Um, which isn't to say that Lars Sullivan is going to do a fucking moon salt or anything, but you don't need it. But you know, it's there are going to be a couple of times where the men are men and the women and children are yeah, scared because he's a fucking bridge troll. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to uh, you know, cook Cassius Ono in a big cast iron pot. And when you stumble across him, you have to answer a riddle or else he'll throw you in the pot, too. How many cross faces do you think he's going to hit Cassius Ono with? 25? More? Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, there's probably going to be the moment when Cassius Ono hits him with a, a discus elbow or something and he goes down to one knee. But I think it's got to be Lars Sullivan. Next up, we have Alistair Black versus the Velveteen Dream. This is interesting because I could see how they would play both things. I think Alistair Black is going to win, but I could see how Velveteen Dream could win, and then Alistair Black gets up and shakes his hand and says, velveteen dream to him and then he just like cries and like lands on the floor and then or maybe they kiss i don't know but uh i could also see 
Alistair Black winning and then being like, you put up a really good fight, Velveteen Dream. I could see that happening too. I could also see him not saying the name, but I feel like with all this, the payoff has to result in him saying the name. My prediction is not even going to be who wins. I predict he will say the name. He says the name. And it's also what I want. I want him to say the name. He's got to say the name. After everything that we were talking about last time, about it starting to feel maybe a little like queer phobic that he wasn't calling him Velveteen Dream, it's got to end, even if it's in an angry way, even if it's like, I yeah. will I oh, will yeah. get I you Velveteen that. Dream. He's got to say the name. Official prediction is, I think my official prediction is Alistair Black wins, but I kind of want the Velveteen Dream to win. Mm. I, I feel like I'm in the same boat as you, but I'm not making predictions about that. I'm making predictions about whether or not he's going to say the name. <laughs> Our next match is Drew McIntyre versus Andrade Cien Almas singles match for the NXT championship. I actually think and this is just cuz I feel like they're trying to flex their writing muscles. I think Drew's going to win. I think so because I think they're going to try to cheat him. He's going to overcome the cheating by his like sheer greatness and goodness or whatever and it's going to open a up a lot of that- potential. It's a Mm. cheating that accidentally forgot to take into account that he's seven feet tall. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good point. That's probably it. They're going to cheat, but they're going to forget how tall he is. He's going to beat at the last second. They make it a ladder match. And he goes, oh, I don't I don't need a ladder. I can just reach up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. That's probably it. But then what will happen is like all sorts of interesting things can open up because then you could have like. Oh, are they going to split Vega and, and Almas? And they probably won't because she's really good with him and they're really good together. Um, but like you could do things like that. You could also do Gargano, who I know we're not talk. We didn't talk about his match, but I mean, I think he's going to lose. But um, we could have Gargano, who's been doing that weird dark Gargano thing every once in a while where he just kind of like stares off into the distance and like does weird stuff in the middle of the match because he's still like weird. Like he can be like, you beat Almas. Like he could get mad at Drew for doing what he couldn't. Like I could see a lot of cool things happening. So I guess what I want to happen is I want Drew to happen. Oh, really? So I don't know if I should predict that. I almost predict what's likely to happen. Mm. What's likely to happen is I I guess Almas might win. Really? Because I feel like but I think Drew is, mm, I don't know. Because I, I almost want it so bad for Drew to win because of the consequences, like the cool things that could happen after that, that I feel like I might be leaning too heavily towards that. But it does feel like he's going to win. I feel like it does feel like know. he's going to win. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't know. This is another one where I'm not 100% I think sure. that I think that Drew but, McIntyre is probably going to win because yeah. they still haven't had him interact with Adam Cole. And Adam Cole was the one mm. that blindsided him the night he won the championship. Shit, you're and totally I assume right. that Adam Cole is going to do a run to try to get the championship, and that is eventually going to be what breaks up Undisputed Era. Who knows how long that takes, but, you know... Like, yeah. that seems like a likely 
story arc. And yes, I am a big stupid Mark. You are totally right. Him, I recant my previous him, position. Him chasing uh, Drew McIntyre seems like the most likely. Although I really want Andrade to win. I want Andrade to win. I, I think that Drew is going to win, but I want Andrade to win because I feel like if Andrade wins, then you have the chance to have Drew do a mini chase with Andrade to try to get it back, which is good because that also gives us more time with Undisputed Era as a semi-cohesive team before Fish and O'Reilly realize what a scumbag Adam Cole is. Mm. And so like that could push that off by a month or two where Drew, you know, wins the belt back, but then Andrade wins it back from him using uh, nefarious means. And then, you know, they, they pass it back and forth or they just hold on to it in really shitty ways. He finally gets it back, and all of a sudden, Adam Cole, yet again, is right there to be like, ah, I want the belt now. Yeah. Well, because this, the winner of of uh, War Games gets a Money in the Bank briefcase, and then they have to rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> yeah, and that's why uh, Undisputed Era breaks up. Sure. Because Adam Cole does... Some of that bullshit playground, like, oh, I did dynamite. He changes his he changes his paper to a rock at the last second, but everybody sees it happen. No, he always throws rock and then changes it to paper or scissors. Cause, oh yeah, that's yeah 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 yeah. That's how you that's, do it. I'm not a very big cheater in rock paper scissors, Tristan. So I don't know the technique. Rock, not like paper, you. Scissors. I'm a I'm a rock paper scissors baby face. So. I'm a rock, paper, scissors tweener, I would say. You can't you can't play rock, paper, scissors if you're holding beer cans in both your hands. So next match, we've got the Fatal 4-Way for the vacant NXT Women's Championship. Ember Moon, Kyrie Sane, Nikki Cross, and Peyton Royce. This is probably huh. the most difficult one to pick. It's interesting. I keep feeling like, okay, obviously I want Nikki to win, um, but Kyrie is there. She's really hot right now. Ember is there. And again, you have that really stupid thing that happens with Ember Moon, but I'm victim to it too. I'm guilty of it as well, where you're just like, she needs to win. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, she needs to win. She can't recover if she doesn't win. It's like, ugh. you have that. I mean, I don't know. It's not going to be Peyton. Peyton's probably going to be the one that takes the pin. Um, I disagree. Whoa. All right. Oh, you think Ember's going to take the pin and then she's just going to get dropped? <laughs> no, I, I... It'll be like a James Ellsworth I situation. Not. Um, I totally see this as um, chicken shit heels come out on top. It's a fatal four-way, so there are no disqualifications. And... Oh, Billy Kay. I bet I bet you that the best way that they could do that is if Billy Kay doesn't come out even in the mid-match. But it looks like Ember's going to win. I mean, if it's Ember, that's probably the most heartbreaking because we all know what Ember has gone through. It looks like Ember's going to win. 
And that's when Billy Kay... Billy Kay opens the Undertaker Kane trap door I in was the gonna say, the, the, the best thing would be if she sneaks out from under the ring. <laughs> Billy Kay... <laughs> She's just been sitting there all Billy night. Kay sneaks out and, you know, just like the cheesiest shit in the world, like, you know, does an ankle pull from the, from the ringside and Peyton Royce gets the pin. The reason why I feel like that's likely is because I want all of these people to win. They all mm. could hold the championship really easily. So what better result than having a chicken shit heel duo co-own the belt at the top and have all of the faces just furiously fighting amongst themselves trying to get the right to take them on for it? How great would it be to see them try to wear the belt on both their bodies at once? I mean, I think that they could do it. I think the thing that is going to obviously broadcast this is if Billy Kay escorts Peyton to the ring or not. If she doesn't even escort her to the ring, then you know she's interfering. If she does, there's a chance, but it's not guaranteed. Yeah, because, again, if she doesn't escort Peyton Royce to the ring, she's under the ring hiding. But all this brings us to the main event, the War Games match. The weirdest baby faces in the world, Sanity, versus the Undisputed Era, versus the authors of Pain and Roderick Strong. Yep. What the fuck is going to happen in this match? Do they think we're dumb enough to believe that Roderick Strong set this up so he could betray Authors of Pain and join Undisputed Era? Or do they not think we're dumb enough to believe that? Because that's too stupid. Because how would he know William Regal would make this match? That's an obvious way that this could end. It is, except for the fact that it's just so stupid, right? I don't know if it's that stupid. I guess if he's just like, Roddy... When I'm going to hold this guy's face. But they didn't know that Authors of Pain were going to get in the match. Of course they were. The last three matches that they had had, somebody ran in. I know. It just, it just, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I kind of get it. I just, it just, there's a lot of leaps to make. But, so that's one way it could go down. Another way it could go down is Saturday could win and everybody would laugh and have a great time. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that that's going to happen but I think that that's what I want to happen. I feel like it's a really high probability that Undisputed Era is going to yeah. win this. There's so many, Their name there's so is much shit Undisputed going on. Era. It just seems like it's almost impossible for the heel to lose in a, in a War Games match like this. I don't know. I'm trying to remember War Games matches because I've seen they changed. They changed the rules. So there's not going to be a roof. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was something I was even going to bring up. Every time they promote war games, they do this thing where they're like, you can go on the website and read the rules, and it makes me go, oh, shit. It's kind of confusing. I don't know if I want matches where I have to read the rules. So it used to be two teams of five in a yeah. fully enclosed two-ring steel cage. Every so often, they would add another person from one of the two teams. Now, I think what it's going to be is it's just a steel cage, no top, so people right. can jump around. I think it used to be like a last man standing 
thing. But I think they made pinfalls count in this because they didn't want everybody to end up gushing blood everywhere. Sure. But the weirdest change was the change to the entrances. One person from each team is going to enter. And the other two people are going to be in shark cages at the top of the ramp. Oh, they love shark (laughs) cages. They really do love shark cages. I think like every five minutes. This starts to sound a lot like Elimination Chamber, doesn't it? I think every five minutes, one of the shark cages open. But both other team members, I believe, are in the shark cage. So there's one shark cage and they're planning to fit... No, there are three shark... Akam and Razar in the one shark... Okay. Presumably it's going to start with one of the two authors of Pain. It would have to, right? Physically. Because I think I could get... Is this the reason why they put Roderick Strong with them? Because he's the only guy that could fit in a cage? We need somebody tiny. Yeah. It's very confusing. It sounds like it'll be fun, but when you talk about the rules, it sounds like you're fucking playing Clue or something where you're like... Yeah, when's it my turn? Why do I have to roll three <laughs> dice? Didn't I roll one dice last time? What the hell? Yeah. I get it. But, I don't know. I feel like there's just so much shit going on Undisputed Era has to win, because it's like, how could the heel not win when there's like so much shit going Also, on? their name is Undisputed Era. I mean... Their name has been Undisputed Era this entire time, and they haven't done anything. They haven't lost yet, though. That's true. They won't lose this either. Even if they don't win, they're not going to be the team that loses. Um, That would kind of be a fun gimmick for them. They never win or lose. They just always disqualify. Well, so yeah, Alec, this has been fun. I can't wait to talk next week about both TakeOver War Games and the Gargano-Pete Dunn match. That'll be fun. Dude, I wonder how long Gargano can lose before the crowd starts getting a little annoyed with him. Uh, Never, right? They yeah, love him so much. Yeah, they probably love him enough. But that's all in the future. Woo. And so you'll just have to come back next week. To find out what's next. What's NXT? Thanks, Alec. Thank you. 